Welcome into the show. Thanks for tuning in this Tuesday morning, June the 4th. It is 9 a.m. on the East Coast. This is your 6 a.m. West Coast wake-up call at all time zones in between and around the world. Thanks for tuning in. Today, the uh, the big game of the of the day, especially for the U.S. audience, is France versus the U.S. in the U-20 World Cup. This is going to be the biggest test so far for this U.S. team. This team was heralded as the you know up and comers. And, um, and, 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 the, and the place where we have a lot of talent, etc. And today is going to be a big test um, in, in regards to that because um, France is going to, to bring it. I mean, France has got a lot of talent. Um, they are, are coming in as players with... A good amount of experience as well. I mean, uh, these are young players, but they are players who who are prepared for uh, this moment. And um, and so, you know, when you get through and 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 look, when you're in a tournament, it's about win and move on. There's no doubt about it. But in terms of your identity and the way that you want to play, the ex the execution of whatever your game plan is. Whether that is to sit back and counterattack, whether that is to dominate possession and dominate that possession in your opponent's uh, third. In other words, you're in your your attacking third. You're you're in and around the goal you're trying to score on. Um, you know, whatever the case may be, um, you've got to you've got to um, be able to execute that style. Uh, in a in a very you know solid way so if you're unable to do so if it is a problem and you get into a match like this where you are unable to um, execute under pressure execute uh, when when things aren't going right when things aren't going the way that you hope they would you can run into trouble, and the U.S. you know ran into a little bit of trouble in their last match. They were sloppy in possession. They were sloppy in, um, you know, in their execution of their game plan. So today is is a day where you're going to you know have to have to be solid and clean in whatever you go out to execute. And I have I have no idea how Tab is going to send the team out to play. I imagine they're going to try to play, um, you know, a possession-based style, and it will be interesting to see if they can pull that off and execute that uh, against France. Um, you know, the, these are players who um, are coming up through this this French system. France just won the World Cup. Uh, last summer, there's a lot of talent here, a lot of youth uh, with experience and quality, and and this U.S. team is going to have uh, its hands full in, in terms of getting past this team uh, and moving on. There, there, there have been criticisms. You know, if you get on social media and you and you read, you know, comments about players on this team, there have been criticisms of of certain players. You know. 
maybe they're not quite as good as, as some people think versus other players, etc. The one thing that I would say watching this team is I don't see any players that pop out to me as, you know, massive difference makers. Not to say that there aren't some quality talents on the field, but none have really stood out yet. That doesn't mean they don't have the talent to stand out. So I want to make that distinction. Um, there, there, there are some very talented players, but talent is only part of that equation. You've got to have the the ability to take a moment, take that opportunity to to be a difference maker and do it consistently. You know, the the one thing that that is, I think, um, remarkable about Messi is the fact that that it's it's not the goals that he scores. Um, if if you go and look at his career highlights and goals, and you watch a goal and you're like, man, that was a nice goal. Other people can score those goals. What makes for Messi so remarkable, though, is his consistency at executing in those moments. His consistency in delivering excellence at being a difference maker um it 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 goes beyond a level of hey i'm you know i made i made a a a shot in that moment that changed the game one time every four or five six eight ten maybe it's the only time in the season that i pull that off right whereas messi is so consistent in that he he's able to to deliver repeatedly and that is it, that when i'm talking about being a difference maker i'm not talking about a one off moment these young players when you when you're watching these young players look at the consistency cuz that's what you're going to get on the level that's what you're going to get day in and day out if you're a club if you if you are a player in a league and you're on a squad and you're trying to deliver what are we getting from you consistently so when i talk about the term difference maker in this aspect in relation to this team what i've yet to see is consistency at being a difference maker i do think there are some talents on that field that can become super quality difference makers but we don't have one yet who is stepping up, doing it consistently, where the team can rely on them and it, and it locks them in. That doesn't mean that there aren't talents on the field. That, that, that doesn't mean that we don't have some good players. But, you know, I, I guess one of the ways I would look at this is if you go back to last year, that French national team that won the World Cup and you look at that squad... It would be hard to say that Christian Pulisic is even in the squad, much less getting a sniff of the starting lineup. Now, when you look at Christian Pulisic, he has been our best player over the last 18 months, two years. He's been the most celebrated. He's been playing at the biggest club. He's now hand, uh, heading out and uh, on a transfer to Chelsea. And he would not even be getting a sniff of the starting lineup in France and would, would be finding it very difficult to even make the squad. So when we're talking about talent, 
and the disparity of where we really are versus the top echelon in the world, we're not even close. So when I'm referring to this squad and, and, and being difference makers and being consistent, that's what I'm talking about. It doesn't mean we don't have the talent. We have the talent, but it's learning to be consistent with your talent, learning to be a difference maker every match on the level, being consistent in your performance. Um, and, and that really is one of the problems we have with our American system. It does not require enough focus, enough intensity in your day-to-day -day training. It does not require enough focus and intensity in your matches. You are, you are able to, to turn off, like mentally turn off in matches in Major League Soccer or in development academies, etc. The quality level, the consistency at which our players are being tested day in and day out, coming up domestically here in America is not high enough. And therefore, when we get a player like a Chris Richards and he is able to transfer to Germany to Bayern Munich, when we get a player like Alex Mendez who can sign in Germany and begin to develop in that environment, doesn't mean that they didn't have good coaches in America, but you can never recreate that environment here in America that you are going to experience over in Europe, the cauldron of daily testing. And so I think now that we've seen some of these players on this U20 squad who have gone to, to Europe, they've, they've not been there very long in, in, in regards to their development path. So seeing how they develop over the next six months, 12, 18, 24 months, and see if they can begin to develop into consistent difference makers, that is going to be the key for our senior team and, and them coming into that level uh, down the road. But it's also going to be the key for this particular squad even in today's matches developing every day utilizing the environment that you're in getting better and being consistent being a consistent difference maker that is uh that that is the test and today you're going to play a team in france who have developed in a system that requires consistency it requires focus and dedication and commitment and intensity in your daily training and in your matches. And when you have players who have developed in that, that have been selected from environments like those, it allows them to be better in these moments. So the U.S. is definitely fighting an uphill battle, and it will be, it'll be interesting to see how well the U.S. team is able to gel and be consistent today in executing their game plan, but it will also be one of those uh, moments where these U.S. players are going to have to work mentally even harder than they normally do when you're playing a talented team who has developed a, a level of consistency in performance like this French national team has been able to do 
coming up in the French system versus our American system. And it's just a it is an issue that that every player has to deal with and, and an issue that every coach in America has to deal with. It's why we talk so much on this show about opportunity and access for everyone making the game on all levels in all areas about sporting merit about competition not about gatekeepers not about paid access uh, not about the haves and the have-nots it's about everyone getting access and then letting the best rise if we do that we will start to have environments in this country that rely on consistency of excellence and not consistency of mediocrity. If you were the only game in town, you're not going to compete as hard as you would have to if you had competition. It's just, it's, it's a, it is a natural byproduct of not having competition. You don't push yourself as hard. And it's really hard to, to artificially uh, execute on that. It's just, it just is what it is. So that's why we need that. And and so the leaders at U.S. soccer have got to get to a place where they finally understand what we need and why we need it and then execute on that. You know, they're already breaking FIFA's bylaws and they are, they're non-compliant in a variety of areas, but they, if they really want U.S. soccer to grow, and that's the question that they've got to ask one of the reasons why we need to be FIFA compliant is it does create environments and Americans love competition. We have the greatest sports economy on earth. We are, we are into sports. So it's not a matter of ambition in this country. It's a matter of the gatekeepers at the Federation. And, and that includes soccer United marketing and major league soccer, not having monopolistic control over the Federation and allowing everyone to, to play and do so based on their on-field performance. So, um, you know, we'll see how that affects today's results. And, um, and, and obviously, we will be rooting very hard for this U.S. national team, this U-20 squad, and Tab and his, his, his coaching staff to, to pull off the win today. But, but keep in mind, going into this game, France are the favorites. This is an uphill battle, and we are going to be in the test of our um of of our tournament so far um no team that this u.s team has played uh up on, up until this point uh, is is going to test us the way that this france uh squad is going to test us so uh, it, it will be interesting to see the game kicks off at 11 30 a.m eastern standard time USA, France, U20, World Cup. Tune in and watch. Uh, we'll all be watching and rooting for you guys um, who are on the team to to go out and, and give a great performance today and uh, hopefully be able to win and move on. Yesterday, we, um, we announced a new sponsor for the show, um, and it is Dut Kick Brand, and uh, really excited to have uh, have them in the the uh as a on the show as a sponsor and um i just want to i want to show you one of the one of their products is uh these little cards and i don't i don't know how well you can you can see these um see if i can get you on a on a different shot here but 
this little this little card has um, a soccer field on it, and it and it's it's able for you as a coach to be able to get out and and work on certain things and kind of have an easy way to communicate ideas, show your players what you're asking of them. I was running a, a small sided training session last night, and this was a, a card from from our actual training session um, that that we did last night working on some some finishing and overlapping runs in and around the box and this was such a a, a big help to us in being able to to work on that concept they could see it um and i, I wasn't having having to try to go and manually draw everything out uh, or spend a lot of time on a computer trying to map it out these cards are available to purchase at dutkickbrand.com so if you have not done uh, that and gotten an order in, you should do so. Uh, if you use the promo code DWSHOW at DuckKickBrand.com, you will get 10% off your order. And at the same time, support this show. And, uh, and we really appreciate you uh, supporting this show as well. So thanks for tuning in this morning. We will be right back after this break from uh, DuckKickBrand. Uh, with David Walding of the Central Texas Lobos. So we will be right back after this break after a word from Duck Kick Brand. Welcome back to the show this Tuesday morning, June the 4th. Thanks for tuning in. Again, U.S. versus France, 1130 Eastern Standard Time in the U-20 World Cup this morning. Um, big game. Win and move on. It, it's uh, it, it's, it's going to be the biggest test they've had. So um, We are really excited this morning to welcome on to the show David Walding, the president of the Central Texas Lobos. David, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on this morning. Uh, good morning. Thanks for having me. So, um, 
you are in the Austin, Texas area. Um, what what got you, you know, interesting interested in the game and and why, you know, Austin, Texas in terms of a base, you know, you could have you could go anywhere in this country. Why why Austin and and why why stay or or be involved in the game in the way that you are? Right. Well, I um grew up in in Louisiana and then I moved to Austin for um for college and like a lot of people who moved to Austin fell in love with the city and just stayed and never left. So I've been in and around and involved in the Austin community since about 1989 um, and very kind of put down my roots here in this community. So I wanted to uh, develop something with the community. My work in Austin has been uh, mostly my day job has been nonprofit work. I've been working with the uh, immigrant community uh, in a nonprofit capacity in Austin. And so the soccer team originally came about in the 90s as a way for me to work with the youth that I was working with, uh, mostly from Central America, who were coming up, teenagers. Um, and it's something that, you know, whether they were coming from whatever country, from Central America, from Africa, from wherever, they all had that common bond of soccer. And it was a way to bring in the, the kids into the community, integrate, um, have a common common goal, no pun intended. So, so it's just kind of grown from there. So tell us a little bit about the Central Texas Lobos as an organization. What you know, what what all do you do from a programming standpoint, and what is kind of the um, the big idea of the club? What are what are the goals, ambitions for Central Texas Lobos? Well, at the moment, we run um, uh, our team in the Gulf Coast Premier League. Um, which is our um, main focus as as a program at this point. Uh, we have a youth academy, uh, which we have started to really build this year. So we were able to get a permanent location for us here in South Austin. Uh, we have our own field, which is going to be, we'll be putting in facilities over the coming year and a half. Um, and it's going to be a permanent home location for us, and we believe that's really going to help us build our youth academy program. Um, from there, we also have a indoor team with the uh, Premier Arena Soccer League, and we have a team in the Honduran Third Provision right now in, in Honduras. Uh, it's called the Liga Mayora uh, in El Paraíso, Honduras. So we have a, a pro team down there that we're, we've been developing for about two years. So is is that team in Honduras, is that directly connected to Central Texas Lobos, or is that something that is, a, is an association? Uh, and and what, what do you try to – is there a tie-in with your uh, GCPL team and that team in terms of players, player development, player opportunities, et cetera? Um. It's directly owned by the Central Texas Lobo, so that's our proprietary team. Uh, what, how that came about was we, we do have a lot of Honduran players in our program. Uh, Austin has a lot of uh, Honduran, a large Honduran community, and so part of what we do is we um, work with the Honduran community here in Austin, 
and there's a lot of youth coming through our, our program. So we, about three years ago, established a connection with the Honduran um, national team program, the youth national team, and they've been up to Austin to help with our uh, our projects here. I've gone down to Honduras and trained uh, with the Honduran uh, U-20 squad. Um, and so we try to build a connection there with the with the Honduran uh, Federation. There was an opportunity then for this team in a place called El Paraíso, Honduras, which is close to the Nicaraguan border, where the Federation felt um, there has not been a, a lot of development into the soccer program in that country. And we wanted to come into that community, which is a very poor community. It's a coffee-growing region, um, and try to help start a program in that area to to develop soccer in that community as well, similar to what we're doing here in the, in the South Austin area. So being, being there based in Austin, having that program in Honduras, um, and then launching in, uh, in, in putting some, you know, effort into a field you're saying is going to open up more opportunities on the youth side. How did the field come about? Because that is something that, a lot of teams, whether whether you're NYCFC and you're playing in Yankee Stadium in a in a in a garbage setup, in my opinion, um, you know, or you are you are the Central Texas Lobos and you're playing in the GCPL, um, getting a stadium, a field of your own that is a home base that is yours, is not as common as you know, we would, we would like it for, for those of us who want to see American soccer really grow to a level that is competitive globally. So how did you guys pull that off in, in getting a field and getting a, a home base that you could call your own? Right. That's a, that's a great question. A, a convergence of circumstances that I don't believe any club could ever possibly duplicate, but um, it's one of those goals that after uh, the club had been pr- playing at that level for a while, it became very obvious to me that unless we were able to pull that off at some point, um, there was not going to be long-term viability. We needed that space of our own to have that long-term viability because relying on public fields um, – whims change from year to year Um, it's a huge expense for the club um, as well as it was really hard to build a youth program when you have to move every six months year two years to a different location so we felt that the permanent location was absolutely essential so we really focused and put in a few years of groundwork to that Um, i have to give the gulf coast premier league uh, a shout out on that because they were very helpful to us in in that goal and helping us realize that goal. Um, we got a donation, uh, a property donation through another nonprofit that we were able to leverage when this land came available in Austin, and use that to do a direct land purchase. So, um, and then I'm helping. I'm working with the uh, Unite the Game Foundation out of New Orleans which, again, the league helped us make those connections so that we can actually develop 
the the field, put in the drainage and everything that's necessary for us to take that next step with the field. So with that field, what are, what all are you going to be able to do? Uh, is it one field, and are you going to be able to have facilities, bathrooms, stadium type setup? Uh, what, what are you going to be able to execute on that property with that field? That's another great question, and it's going to be somewhat dependent on the city. I think we have a very good relationship right now with the city of Austin. Um, my uh, district council member, uh, Delia Garza, is a, um, the new mayor pro temp in Austin. And so we went to her before we even made the purchase. She's been very supportive. I think um, there's been, with the Austin Bold and the Austin FC um, coming into uh, the community in the past year, there's been a huge kind of interest and focus on soccer and what needs to be done, um, and especially the lack of facilities. So we have to go through all of the process for permits for the property and and submit planning and everything to the city. Um, but the plan is to have one full regulation-sized grass field and then one um, – synthetic mini pitch on the property um, along with you know seating and amenities uh, restrooms we haven't quite figured out how to tackle yet but of course that's going to have to be in the plan at some point um, fencing concessions uh, the whole nine yards we hope it'll be a very complete facility that'll that'll suit all of the the needs that we have for the Gulf Coast Premier League and that we'll be able to start playing there if not next year, then the following year. And and are there um, are there ambitions at Central Texas Lobos to expand your team and your program beyond you know a ten game season in the summer? Are you looking for that that men's team to be able to play a little bit longer season, especially having a home stadium that you could play out of? Um, absolutely, and it's something that we talked with the league about already. Um, I think as the league expands into Texas, that's going to be something that that we're definitely looking at uh, as a league, even, um, for the Texas division anyway. Um, I, we're the first and only Texas team currently. Um, we are not comprised of primarily university players. So we do look at what we're going to be doing for the rest of the year. Currently we do play, you know, in the municipal league and we pick up some tournaments. Um, we hope to be back into the U.S. Open Cup qualifying this year um, and do uh, – we also have a trip uh, planned possibly out of country maybe once or twice this year. So I think we have some other things going, but I would – love to see us put together some type of winter schedule that we could play over the winter as well. So in, in your setup there in Texas, you are kind of out on an Island, even though Texas yes. is, is by no means an Island, but you feel like an Island cause you're, you're not just in Texas. Um, you're not right next to Louisiana either. I mean, you got a you got a little bit of a journey to get get to you once you leave Louisiana from the GCPL and get into um, into Austin. So, 
what what are what are you hoping to be, to help with the GCPL in terms of getting into Texas with more teens? Um, is that is that basically creating a separate Texas conference of the GCPL that would would allow you to be a little bit more local in terms of your travel and competition? That's exactly right, and we've we've spoken with the league about that. I believe that is the goal of the league is to be able to create a Texas conference. Um, I think that's very realistic. We're hoping to be able to pull that off within the next year or two um, because the travel is the biggest issue for us at this point. Um, Our away games are all about seven-hour road trips. So the not only the distance and the toll it takes on the players and and coaching staff, but the um, the expense, overnight stays and so forth for all of our road trips is um, adding up. We would love to have more local competition. So uh, I'm not sure exactly the the areas, but obviously Houston, Dallas, San Antonio are focus. Um, potentially Corpus Christi, maybe some other. Uh, regions closer to Louisiana, but uh, I know the league is actively working on that. That's one of the things we spoke about when we entered the league is that um, we had a meeting as a club. I met with the players at the time, and because of the quality of the Gulf Coast um, Premier League, we were perfectly willing and happy to go into the league and make those trips initially, but again, sustainability we would like uh, some Texas teams pretty soon to start entering and, and being able to play more locally. So you're on the front lines every day. You are, you are running a club, operating a club and yes. having to, having to facilitate, um, you know, these kind uh, these kinds of issues and, and work around them, find solutions, etc. When, when, when people throw out, you know, um, promotion, relegation, open access. I'm a big proponent of this, but one of the things that gets often thrown out when you're, when, when you're looking at this is, is to just kind of cookie cutter copy the kind of setups you see overseas. So one of the, for, for the, uh, you know, English speaking, uh, as your first language, uh, leagues and setups that people follow is obviously the English Premier League. It has a lot of coverage on NBC Sports, etc. Here in in America, and and when you look at that system, you see the Premier League is a national league. The champ the championships a national league. League One is a national league. League Two is a national league. So when you when you talk to people and they'll say, well, you know, we we need a first first division um, national and and USL's got to be national. This got to be national. I, I make the, the, the contention and have made this statement privately and, and kind of discussing how to implement an open system is we have to take into, the, into our setup the uniqueness of our geography. It is both a blessing and a curse. Um, and, and, and so we have to, but we have to address that when we are looking at connecting leagues even right now as a closed league that in every league in, in the country is a closed league. Um, you may have things inside of yourself, uh, like the UPSL will have some divisions and promotion relegation, but you're, 
you're not promoting out of the top level of the UPSL into the NPSL or the USL or MLS. So you're still a closed system, whether you're the GCPL or MLS. So in our current setup, even in that, we have to take into account travel and geography and distance. Um, and, and so I think we should regionalize as quick as possible um, for, for in order for soccer to really reach the level it needs to go. Um, and, and that means at even higher levels than the, than the GCPL. So you being on an island, having to travel seven hours to get to a game, that's a big burden. It's a big ask. If it, for your away games, just for the audience sake, as they're kind of thinking through, okay, I'd like to start a club somewhere, or I'd like to get involved with the club somewhere, and they're trying to figure out, you know, the, the, this, uh, you know, working out the specifics of executing and being able to do it. You know, they they have the dream. They might they may look at a Chattanooga and see what where they've come in the last ten years and go, man, I'd like to do something like that. That'd be really cool. Um, let's go start a club. What are the realities that they're facing uh, when they're looking at a, a steep travel budget where you do have overnight stays, et cetera? Could, could you give exactly. us a little insight on that, like just a, a ballpark budget? If you, if you travel to an away game and you're having to take into account a seven-hour drive plus hotels plus you know per diem or food or whatever you got to do to take care of the guys, what are you looking right. at for a weekend? Exactly. So um, one of the things we did before making the move into Gulf Coast was uh, purchase a team van. Um, so we made that one-time expense because otherwise what I've looked at is if we rent two passenger vans from Austin, um, and it would probably not be feasible to do 24 hours, we'd have to do 48 hours for our trips. Um, we're looking at about $400 a piece, so about $750 to $800 just for the van rental. Um, it made sense to me to make the upfront expenditure just to purchase a van and not have that rental expense uh, at the beginning of the season. Um, I would say we probably, with the van and the additional vehicle that we take, so we take two vehicles, probably uh, $150 to $200 of gas. Um, about $500 for the hotel for the night, and that's uh, with the with the player staying three to a room. Um, so it gets a little bit uncomfortable, but um, we purchased uh, air mattresses so that people don't want to bunk together. They can spread out on an air mattress. Um, we always choose a hotel with a free breakfast because our players were very upset the one time that didn't happen. So I've learned, keep the players happy, give them free food in the morning. Um, and we put it back on our players to pay for their uh, nightly meal. Um, we've worked out with uh, some of the teams in Gulf Coast this season to where when we travel, they provide a meal for us there and we'll provide it for them here in Austin. Um, but otherwise, I would say if you add up van rental gas and uh, hotel rooms, you're looking at close to $1,500 a trip. Well, that'll add up real quickly when you, exactly. when, you know, when you're, when you're putting the budget together um, and, and in your, in your division of the, the GCPL, uh, how many away matches do you have this season? Um, 
it's a 10-game schedule. We'll have five road trips, and they're all about equal distance. They're about 400 miles. So you're looking at roughly 7,500 bucks for for your travel costs, right? Exactly. So when when uh, when these teams are are making the trip out to you, they they have that one big weekend where they're having to Correct. account for, whereas you're having exactly. to account for that five times. That's um, exactly right. Right. So you're yeah. you're you're operating on a on a you know four or five times their their travel budget uh, to to be in the league, which obviously makes sense why you would want more Texas teams to cut down your travel and 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 also i think for the gcpl it it makes sense you know with the mission and the growth pattern of the gcpl as well uh to expand i know that's their um one of their kind of cornerstones of the league is they want to cut down those those travel costs so it's something that we did have extensive conversations before um joining both from our perspective of can we commit to that expense and the league's perspective of do they want to add in that that piece are they are were they ready for that move and we both decided it was the right time and the right um the right philosophy for the league going forward but with the goal in mind of adding in a texas conference within you know two to three years is is the goal so building out what you're doing with your program and and doing the things that you're doing with with stadium and infrastructure etc what do you hope to do in the youth space uh to make an impact there in austin uh, in, in especially to the the communities that you're currently serving what kind of opportunities are you hoping to provide them having a facility of your own being able to to run programming the way you want to run it Exactly. We're not um, overly popular, per se, with the, with the youth soccer community in the area, uh, precisely because we're focusing on trying to not be in that pay-to-play youth system. Uh, we want to be outside of that, that system, make it a very, very economical um, and high-quality youth program where kids aren't paying thousands of dollars a year to be able to play. We're located in a very low-income area of Austin, uh, a lot of minority community in the area, um, a lot of immigrant families in the area. So we're very um, open to the multicultural aspect of Austin and integrating into the club. We also understand that we have to keep prices very accessible and try to supplement are operating costs some other way. So it's not designed for the kids to come in and, you know, support the the program um, entirely. It's designed to run, I think the average cost for the kids is about $35 a month to be in the youth program. Um, And then we have economic need scholarships below that and uh, discounts for if there are multiple kids in the family, because we see that quite a lot now with our registration. So if you have one child and a decent income, you're looking at about $35 a month. Everybody else is somewhere significantly below that. So part of the point of the program is to be able to open it up to all of the kids in our neighborhood. There's no very established 
club in our community, in our part of Austin. So what we have are clubs from uh, other areas in the, in the suburbs coming in and trying to take kids out of the community and have them go elsewhere for practices and games and so forth. So we want this to be a true community-based club, a community-based youth system that provides opportunities for literally everyone in the community to be able to come out and play, regardless of their income or their personal situation, their finances. Um, again, that comes out of my work with nonprofit, working with unaccompanied children. So I had a lot of kids come in to the system who were here without parents at all. So they have very little support. They have no transportation. Um, Austin implemented an ESL school that's a magnet school, so they don't even go to school in their community. They're bused out of the community to go to school. Um, so we wanted to create something that's very ingrained in this area of Austin, be a community-based school um, program, after-school program uh, for the youth club and not have to worry about the the economics of it, but still be able to come in and train with, you know, the Lobos coaching staff. Um, we are bringing in uh, FC Austin Elite, which is the local uh, women's program in Austin to help with the girls. Um, we have an affiliation with uh, the Club America Academy out of Nayarit in Mexico. Um, we have our affiliation with the Honduran Youth Program. So between that and the resources from the Gulf Coast that, that they're providing us, we think it's going to be a very strong program where kids can come in and get a very good um, experience without having to pay thousands of dollars to do it so it's accessible to everybody. I um I I ran a I started a a free to play uh youth club it was a single squad very small uh program a few years ago ran it for a couple of years and for a variety of reasons uh ended up passing that on to some other parents and 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 having to take on some other projects but in that time that I was running that uh you know we were we were dealing with some different issues obviously being free to play our big goal you know a lot of people will say this uh but when they go to launch something they'll say well we want to go reach kids that that are not currently in the system not currently playing and you know we had a few kids that were you know from the you know system as as you call it in terms of you know the pay to play system or whatever that came over and we had some that would would come over and actually train with us and then go back and train with their their pay to play club uh, as well. But the bulk of our kids were not playing organized soccer. And that was what the program was designed for. Um, and, and, and we saw that that our biggest challenge wasn't finding interested players. It was transportation Um and, and the reason is that a lot of their parents, they, we had, you know, um, in, in our squad of about 25 kids, like I said, we we're very small. Um, but in our squad of 25 kids, we had 10 countries represented every continent except Antarctica. Um, and, and we, so we had a variety of backgrounds and socioeconomic status levels and, and, you know, work schedules and it's, et cetera, you know, um, you know, English, 
was not necessarily um, the the common language, especially with all the parents, just the different backgrounds Correct. or whatever. And so right. in in that we found that with work schedules and stuff and such that one of the biggest issues that these kids had that, that wanted to play and they loved coming out to train was getting to practice. And so we actually had to start just basically going and picking up, you know, at least a third of the team every day to go just to get to practice. Um, are, are those issues that you see in your community or, or is your community local enough that they can get to practice um, it, you know, at your site, uh, where you train or, or is that an issue that you have to deal with as well? No, those are the exact issues we're seeing. So, um, again, this is kind of new to us in this location, but I've lived here for, you know, 25 years. So, um, I'm aware of those issues and transportation is the main problem. Um, any transportation issue you can come up with in the United States, triple it when you get to Austin, because, the public transport and the systems here in Austin are well behind the growth of the city. So um, we have the additional, and, and there's a program in Austin, uh, Upper 90. I want to give them a little bit of um, free airtime here because they work after school programs um, for the kids as a nonprofit, free to play. Um, and I've had these conversations with them. The problem for that is the magnet school. So by Austin ISD creating this magnet school for non-English first language speakers at the high school level, by the time kids are 14 and up, they're at that particular school. With the transportation issues, they're not getting home sometimes until 7, 8 o'clock at night at best in a, in a good day. So the after-school programs here for soccer are all based at the school sites. Well, the kids in this community can't participate in that because if they're going to that ESL school, they can't stay there after school, and they also can't go to their local school um, in the community. So those are the kind of issues we're dealing with. We have no lighting system at any field in Austin um, in this area. So if you come back to, say, the 78704 zip code after after school and you're getting home at seven o'clock at night and it's dark there's literally nowhere to go play so that's part of the issues we're dealing with is putting in this lighting system uh, putting in the synthetic turf uh, mini pitch so we can keep that open uh, after hours so to speak have a safe place for kids to come and play it is directly on a bus line um, so we do have that advantage but yes we're going to have to deal with transportation we're well aware of that kind of stumbling block coming our way with the transportation. Uh, part of it is we work with kids with their schedules. So if they can't make all the practices, if there's a work schedule we have to accommodate, um, right now we're working with them on that, uh, whereas some other clubs are just like, you need to be at practice and that's that. But um, we're trying to work with them around some of those issues. We have childcare issues because even if um, – the, the family, especially with the girls' teams, we're finding out a lot of them, the issue is they want the, the girls especially to come home and help care for younger siblings. So we're having to deal with, well, what if we set up something for the kids where you can bring them out to the field and they can be, you know, entertained and supervised while we're having a practice 
will that work? Uh, so it's all those kind of issues we're having to deal with. That's the exact, um, what you've mentioned are the exact problems we're coming up against. Well, I, I first just want to say I applaud your your efforts and your work there. It is uh, it is so needed, and you know a, a lot of people think of of Austin, Texas, and they think about tech and they think about South by Southwest, and and uh, and, and those are obviously <clears throat> you know good attributes of the city, um, but every city has areas that are underserved and you're you are in there rolling up your sleeves every day providing programming and opportunities uh for for a part of your community that doesn't have as much access um as maybe some others might so uh, i i really do commend you and and applaud your efforts there how can people follow uh the central texas lobos and your work learn more about what you're doing uh, etc either through social media or online Right, social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter uh, at Centex Lobos, um, and you can check out the website www. Central Texas. Sorry, CentexLobos. com. C e n t e x l o b o s. dot com. Um, there's a store. It's helpful if people want to just um, help out the club. We do depend on um, outside uh, finances, so there's a store you can help purchase. Uh, some items they are pretty inexpensive, and that actually does really help out the club. Um, and just follow us through the Gulf Coast and through our website. Fantastic. Well, thank you for coming on the show, David. I really appreciate it, and I hope uh, I hope you have the the best luck uh, getting some more Texas teams into the GCPL to help you on the the travel side and with all of your your project work there. Um, that it continues to grow and thrive. We need more of you in this country, quite frankly. So, thank you for what you're doing, and uh, we really appreciate you coming on the show this morning. And I appreciate you having me on. Thanks so much. Thank you. That was David Walden of Walding of the Central Texas Lobos, um, and uh, really am grateful that he came on the show. Thanks uh, so much to him uh, for for making time and sharing his story. Uh, our sponsor this half hour is Charity Water. Learn more about Charity Water at charitywater.org. They are bringing clean drinking water to people all over the world, changing lives, changing villages. Learn more about them at charitywater.org. We will be right back after this. No one, no man, no woman, no child should ever have to drink green water with bugs with algae, with disease in it. Bad water and a lack of toilets kills more people than all the wars in the world. We know how to bring clean drinking water right now to every single person on earth. And when you can bring water into communities, it truly transforms them, it changes everything. And you could know that you'd made a difference. You could know that you had truly impacted the life of a family, of a community, of a region. There was either clean water or there wasn't. We believe in a world where every single person has clean and safe water to drink, and we will continue fighting until that happens.
Welcome back to the show this Tuesday, Janu- uh, January, June the 4th. Um, coming up at 1130 Eastern Standard Time today, we have the U.S. versus France in the U-20 World Cup. Big match. Um, I encourage you to tune in and watch. Um, big test for them. We'll see how it goes. And, um, you know, we're rooting for you. Ho- hope it goes well. Um, so I, I wanted to uh, to sp- spend the last few minutes here on the show today talking about um, I- an issue that, quite frankly, is ridiculous that we're even having to have this conversation in 2019. Um, and in that issue is the pay uh, disparity at the FIFA World Cups between the men's and the women's World Cups. And uh, the Australian women's national team, also known as the Matildas, um, are, are trying to put FIFA under pressure to introduce parity in prize money between the men's and women's World Cups. Um, and, and they are leading this charge for equality. That's something that, that our U.S. women's national team, uh, I hope, uh, definitely uh, joins and, and speaks out in solidarity with the Australian women's national team, the, the Matildas. Uh, and, and it makes sense because the women's national team, uh, about eight months after Hope Solo filed her uh, suit against the Federation filed their own suit against the Federation and uh, in, in terms of equal treatment. So I, I would I hope that, that our players at the World Cup speak out just like the Australian women's national team are speaking out. Uh, the, the Matildas, with support from their players union, uh, the professional footballers Australia, are prepared to take FIFA to court if it will not uh, lift payments to female football on the back of public support. Um, and one of the reasons why this is, is such an, uh, a hot topic here and a big issue is we're not talking about, you know, the men getting, you know, 50 million and the women getting 40 million or 45 million. The women are, are scheduled to receive seven and a half percent of the purse handed out at the 2018 men's world cup in russia seven and a half percent that means that the the prize money on offer in france this summer for for the women's world cup is 30 million compared to the men who had 400 million 30 million versus 400 million that is crazy. And to put this in, into perspective, the uh, FIFA pays its top two executives, that's President Gianni Infantino and its General Secretary uh, Fatma Samora, more as an annual wage, that's, this is combined between both of them, 4.1 million combined a year than the winners in France will receive, meaning the team that wins the World Cup this summer will receive $4 million as a team if you win. And the two top executives at FIFA combined make more than that on an annual salary. It's absurd, the treatment that the women are getting. And, um, you know, after failing to gain support from FIFA, um, 
they they have decided that they are going to take their private campaign and their private efforts public and they've even launched a website and you can go learn more about what they're doing at ourgoalisnow.com ourgoalisnow.com um and it's just launched uh here on the eve of the tournament and uh they are asking for an immediate doubling of the total prize money from 30 to 57 million um and uh you know working to to try to get fifa to step up to the plate and do right by this women's world cup the the sport uh, is is growing on the women's side of the game leaps and bounds uh, but that's not why they should get paid equally they should get paid equally because it is a fifa tournament and if it's going to be a first team tournament on the men's side the, the world cup in 2018 22 26 etc and this is the first team top level te- uh tournament on the women's side they should be getting that kind of treatment uh as well and growing uh the the revenue and the and the purse available to the women is essential to that so um look we we have got to we've got to to get to a place where um we are taking care of of duties and that goes domestically with u.s soccer who is who is you know not getting the job done on a variety of issues especially here uh on the 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 pay and treatment disparity uh situation that hope and i were talking about yesterday uh on the show or you know fifa on a global level um it's got to change man it's 2019 we got to get our act together we got to treat people with dignity and respect. We can we can argue, we can disagree, but we should do so agreeably um, and 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 treat people with respect. And one of the ways that we can do that is by how we handle moments like this. So uh, hopefully FIFA uh, succumbs to the pressure and does the right thing and uh, and begins to put more resources into the women's game uh, as well. Uh, they have the money, they have the ability, and they should be leading the charge on that, not fighting it, just like the Federation should be leading the charge on that and not fighting it. So thanks for watching the show today. Thanks for tuning in. Really appreciate David Walding spending some time with us, talking to us about Central Texas Lobos and and his work there in Austin, Texas. Uh, Tomorrow we have Ruth Nicholson, and it's going to be, I think, a really good conversation looking at uh, governance and operations and, and how we do what we do better so uh look forward to having her on tomorrow again hope solo was on yesterday you can uh watch or listen to the show at danielwortman.com every day live weekdays monday through friday 9 a.m eastern standard time we will see everybody again tomorrow